0: And finally, if this teaching is helpful to you in any way, we'd love to hear about it. You can email us at info at With that being said, here's this week's teaching. Well, good morning, good morning. What's good, church fam? Oh, yeah, okay. That's what I was looking for. I was looking for that, and y'all responded, because I was about to ask it again, but y'all, okay, I see you. All right. Um, so, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Marcus, and I'm one of the pastors here at City. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to John, John 14. We'll kick it off with verse six, like Sarah read. Uh, for those of you, uh, if you have been coming around for a little bit or, or are new here and we haven't met yet, I would love to meet you, hang out, um, and all of that kind of get to know your story a little bit um, after the gathering. If you want to do that, also if you are new here, just to kind of catch you up on what. Series we are in, we are working through a series called "Question Everything," and, and the basic idea is that we are trying to answer questions that people who are working through deconstruction are are asking the church. And so far, what we've talked about is what does it mean to actually deconstruct well. That was the first week, and then in the second week, we talked about why Christians are so politically driven, and then last week, Kent talked about why God cares. About who I sleep with. We only do uh, light topics here, in case you were wondering. <laughs> only, only light, breezy topics here at city. Um, so today is obviously, you know, another light one, of course. Um, and the question is is, why are Christians so intolerant of other beliefs? Why are Christians? so intolerant of other beliefs. So you typically hear this a lot when people who don't follow after Jesus kind of say things like, do Christians really believe that even if you are good, even if you are good, you can still go to hell just because you don't accept Jesus? Or, or you'll hear something like this, do Christians really think that they know the only way to God? So so these questions and others like it uh, kind of fit into this overall question of why are Christians just so intolerant of other beliefs? And, And for some of us in the room right now, we are actually asking those questions of ourselves. We're actually wrestling through those very questions right now. People around us, our friends, whoever, like they are asking those questions of us. So uh, if you are in college, maybe one of your friends, maybe one of your good friends is asking you those questions right now. Or maybe a professor asks this during class or whatever. Maybe you're trying to be on mission with a coworker, and they're asking you these questions. Maybe they're saying, hey, this is the thing. This is the thing that, that, that I just can't get past. Maybe you've seen this on social media. Maybe your favorite celebrity or athlete or author is, is, you know, tweeting this out. Maybe they just, like, stormed this question out or TikToked it out. Can I say TikToked? Is that how you say that? Um, like, they're, they're doing this on social media, and then they're getting all these likes, all these questions and everything and all these comments. Everything's flooding, and you're looking at that, and you're like, man, like, I don't know. I don't know for those reasons and more, this is why we are actually going through this. This is why we're going to actually try to tackle this question, because the questions are happening. It's just whether the church is actually trying to answer them. And here's the thing, there's no way around it. There's no way around it. What Jesus claims is what he claims. So what we're going to try to do is we're going to try to actually look at the claim itself, unpack it a little bit, And then try to circle back around and try to answer some of the natural pushbacks that people have for this. Y'all ready? Okay, okay, because yeah, because we're about to go in, so I hope y'all ready. I hope y'all good. All right, verse 6, let's check it out. Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So there it is. Jesus comes in hot, and he lets his disciples know what's up, right? He says, hey, I am the only way to the Father. He doesn't say, I am a way to the Father, right? He doesn't say that, oh, like, I am one of many good ways to the Father. No, he says pretty clearly, hey, I am the way to the Father, capital the. So that is the claim. That's what, you know, this whole sermon is going to be kind of based off. But he keeps going. Let's read verse 7. It says, If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. So Philip says, Jesus, if, if you would just bring about a manifestation of God we will believe you. If you you can have just a visible, physical encounter with God, if you can just bring about God in the flesh, we will believe you 100. To which Jesus responds with in verse 9. He says this, Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Philip, sorry. Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not ask or I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Verse 11 Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. So Jesus' response to Philip was How long have we been kicking it, Philip? how long have we been kicking it? And you still don't know. You're asking for this this physical encounter with the Father. You're asking for God in the flesh. What if I just told you point blank that's me? I am the manifestation of God. Sometimes people uh, will say that Jesus doesn't claim uh, to be God, but I mean, it's, it's pretty clear, right? He said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is making an undeniable claim. He's saying that he is God himself and therefore the only way to God. Now, Jesus isn't the only one that makes these claims. The New Testament authors do the same. So we'll check out 1 Timothy 2.5 real quick. It says this, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men the man, Christ, Jesus. So Paul here, who's the author, he, he's not beating around the bush at all, right? There's one God, and there is one mediator. Mediator, mediator being that uh, uh, someone who goes in between two parties. Paul says that Jesus is the only one that can do that. We also see this in Acts, Acts 4 says this. It says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So this is Peter and John speaking here, and they're making a very similar claim that Jesus made and that Paul makes in 1 Timothy. And the, and the way they put it is that there is no salvation in no one else. In no one else. And then, and then they double down and say, matter of fact, there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So, not my name, not your name, not. Caesar's name who was like reigning during this time not any president's name not any world leader's name not your favorite actor or actress not your mama not your daddy not your son not your wife husband nobody's name but Jesus they're saying that Jesus is the only way to God Now, there there is some pushback I hear people talk about, and it's it's that, of course, of course these people thought that Jesus was the only way. They they were very narrow-minded. They had a simplistic mindset. They didn't know about all these other religions that were out here. They're not a pluralistic society like we are today. But the problem with that, actually, is that that's not true. The Roman Empire was actually a society that was built on pluralism. Rome had conquered the world, and all the people uh, uh, they had conquered had their own gods. The Ephesians had their god, the Egyptians had theirs, the Jews had theirs as well, and so forth and so on. And some gods were not geographical in nature, but kind of restricted to a certain dimension. So you had you know, the god of fertility, or the god of traveling, or the god of war. War? War. (laughs) War. Always, always get that confused. Um, And and that was all cool with Rome. The way Rome saw it, everybody could have their own God, but there was kind of a limit or a sphere of influence that they could, you know, have their God in. So you couldn't be out here, you had to be like kind of contained. And so Roman historians actually tell us that one thing no one was allowed to say was that their God was superior to any other God. Basically, the message was to each his own, as long as you don't say anything else about another God. As long as you don't say anything wrong about another God, we're good. Now, does that sound familiar to anybody in the room? Does that sound, I don't know, familiar to anyone living in 21st century America? That's us. That's... That's us, by the way. That's us. That's everybody in the room. Um, that is that is us. I mean, it's it's pretty identical to our approach today, actually. And this was the world that Christianity was born into. See, one thing people uh, will say today uh, is and, and believe actually is that because Christianity was sort of like exclusive and dogmatic, uh, 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 and dogmatic, their claims were a product of its day. Sure, they believed, you know, that sort of thing back then, but now we've come to see the value and the worth of all these faiths and traditions and religions. But the reality is, is that guys like Peter and Paul, they were not preaching to monotheists. Monotheists being people who believe in a singular, powerful God. They were actually trying to reach polytheists, people who believed in multiple gods and multiple ways to God. So when they they stood up in the marketplace, you know, people surrounding them all and all of that, when they said, hey, 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 listen, 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 I know you guys serve the God of fertility, the God of traveling, the God of war. I know you guys are doing that, but listen, 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 Jesus, the God we serve, is the only true and living God. When they said that, there was no thank you so much. Thank you. This is what we were missing. Thank you so much. They they were not like the people in Jonah's day when Jonah just gave, you know, like a couple of words for a sermon and they just all repented. (laughs) These people were not like that, fam. No, Peter and Paul and the rest of them, they got beaten. They got ridiculed. And they got thrown in jail nearly everywhere they went. And the Bible has plenty of stories to back that up. See, people of antiquity were not more inclined than you and I to believe in an exclusive, singular, powerful God. They were actually less so. And yet, Peter, John, Jesus and everybody that followed Jesus said that he was the only way to God. So this, this right here, this is what has been handed down to us through the church. This is is church history. And while we are a long way from the early Roman Empire, the claim that Jesus makes of being the only way to God... Remains very unpopular and contested today. Now, when I hear it contested today, the objections come in three primary primary forms. First, uh, is it not dangerous to claim that Jesus is the only way to God? Number two, is it not arrogant to claim that Jesus is the only way to God? And number three, is it not more inclusive to claim that all good people go to heaven no matter what they believe? So usually people will say it in kind of one of these three ways. I'm sure there are more, but like usually one of these three ways that that claiming Jesus is the only way is either dangerous, arrogant, or exclusive. So that's what I want to do for us for the rest of this time is to kind of spend time on each one and kind of unpack them. uh, And we'll go from there. First up, is it not dangerous to claim that Jesus is the only way to God? Is it not dangerous to claim that Jesus is the only way to God? So people will argue, uh, doesn't religious fundamentalism cause all sorts of problems and therefore should be done away with? Isn't this uh, a sort of religious fundamentalism that starts wars and leads people to crash airplanes into buildings and all of that stuff? Doesn't it divide us and, and cause strife among us? Shouldn't we just do away with that? And to that I would say, well, I mean, it certainly can be. But I would also add, it also depends on what your fundamentals are. If if your fundamental is we have the truth and we will do anything to force this truth upon you, then yeah, that, that's pretty dangerous. That's pretty dangerous. And there are many who claim to be Christians, who claim to follow after Jesus, that do this in various ways. I mean, Kent covered it in the second week, but there are some people who desire power so much that they'll use Christianity as a front. For them, Christianity is just a mask, it's just a layer to be able to get that power that they desire. But listen, for followers of Jesus, that's not what our fundamentals are. That's not what it means to actually follow after Jesus. It never has been. See, the center of our faith is actually Jesus. He embraced those who were different than him. He even died for his enemies. He didn't force his belief system onto someone. He invited them. He welcomed them in. And the people that didn't want anything to do with Jesus, he said, okay, See, sometimes people use the term uh, Christian extremists um, to refer to people who uh, are kind of all in on their faith. Um, And often the type of people that are attached to Christian extremists are people who claim Christianity but do things that actually don't match up with what Jesus is like. So case in point, there's a dude uh, in Seattle who went into an abortion clinic and shot people. They labeled him a Christian extremist. And so sometimes people will use that term to kind of describe anyone who does things differently because they follow after Jesus, or, you know, supposedly follow after Jesus. For the record, I hate the term (laughs) Christian extremist. It kind of feels a little icky, a little weird. Um, But if we were to actually use the same term, I would say that a true Christian extremist is actually someone who would serve those who were against them. Who would die for their enemies the same same way Jesus did. See, Jesus didn't come to, like, you know, throw his power around, throw his weight around and be like, hey, you guys, like, I'm here now. Serve me. I'm here. He could have. Surely he could have. But instead, like he says in Matthew 20, 28, he says, hey, I came to serve. I came to serve, not to be served. There's even a passage where one of Jesus' disciples, he tries to get a little violent when, uh, when, the, uh, Pharisees try to, uh, when the Pharisees arrest Jesus. And Jesus was like, hey, fam, like, put that sword away, man. Put, put that sword away. We're not about that here. That's not, that's not what we're doing here. So really, if, if you met a true Christian extremist, by definition, they wouldn't kill you if you disagreed with them. They would actually die for you. See, we have a person who, who is the truth, who forgives us, and as a result, we should be the most forgiving, the most understanding, the most sensitive, the least high and mighty people around. So is religious fundamentalism, religious fundamentalism dangerous? Man it sure can be. It sure can be. And a lot of people claiming to be Christians are not aligning their way with how Jesus would respond to people that don't believe the same things. And if that's you in the room right now, if that's you online, I'm sorry. If you've been kind of caught up in all of this, yeah, I am so sorry. Like I said at the top, like I would love to talk to you. You know, the other pastors would love to talk to you, anybody on staff, like we would love to talk to you if this is your story. Hear me say though calling people to follow a man who submitted and died for his enemies won't make you dangerous. It will make you beautiful and sacrificial. And as followers of Jesus, we, we are wrong if we do anything less. If we do anything less than that, we need to repent. All of us. We need to repent of our sins for not looking like Jesus enough. All right, number two, number two. Is it not arrogant? To claim that Jesus is the only way to God is it not arrogant to claim that Jesus is the only way to God? So with this one, you'll hear, okay, if it's uh, if it's not dangerous, then man, it's got to be arrogant, right? I mean, you are saying that you have the truth and everyone else is wrong. Isn't that arrogant? Isn't that an arrogant claim? I mean, isn't truth relative? Or maybe you'll hear it like this. Christianity might be your truth, but that doesn't mean that it is my truth. There's a, a, a movement uh, of speaking your truth that is happening nowadays. Uh, truth for many people is not objective, but it's actually personal. It's not something that is out there to be obtained and discovered and all of that, but something that's actually inward, something that is in people and in individuals. And so this is called actually relativism. It's the doctrine that knowledge, truth, and morality exist in relation to culture, society, or historical context and are are not absolute. And so when Christianity or, or when Christians actually claim that Jesus is the only way to God, then that is seen as absolute and therefore arrogant. That is kind of the logic behind it. And so you'll hear things like religion is, you know, merely human attempts to discover and learn things about God. That it's based on human effort, therefore it must be flawed, it must be fallible. And to that claim, I would actually say, yeah, you're you're right. I would agree that Christianity is flawed and fallible. if that were true. If it's based off of human effort, yes. At that point, it is pride and arrogance. Uh, G.K. Chesterton on the dislocation of humility says this. He says, what we suffer from today is humility in the wrong place. A man was meant to be doubtful about himself but undoubting about the truth. This has been exactly reversed. We are on the road to producing a race of men too mentally modest to believe in the multiplication table. If something is true, it's not about pride or humility, right? It's about fact. For Christians to claim that Jesus is the God who created the universe, the God who created you and me, created all of us, died for our sins and rose from the dead is the only way to God. It's not about pride or arrogance. It's about facts. Now, we, we could be right or wrong, but it's not about arrogance or pride. Let me show you uh, with an illustration. Um, let's say after, you know, after the gathering today, you guys decide to go to Sono. Like I know there's, there's been a lot of people at city going to Sono nowadays. So let's just say you're going to Sono. I think my life group's probably going today. Um, let's say you're going to Sono, and you kind of overhear someone, you know, while you're eating your burrito. Like, you, you kind of overhear someone across the table say, hey, Nashville is the capital of Tennessee. No one's going to go, <gasps> how dare you? How dare you say that, Sarah? Sorry. Uh, how dare you say that? That's so arrogant and so prideful. No one's going to no do that, right? Why? Because it's not arrogant to state a true thing, right? It's just a true thing. Now, you can say a thing in an arrogant and prideful way, for sure. So if that same person um, says it this way, listen up, idiots. (laughs) Nashville is the capital of Tennessee. Well, then we got a problem, right? (laughs) (laughs) Then we got a problem. That's like for sure arrogant, and there's some other stuff mixed in there. (laughs) And they're doing all that to say a true thing. And we can't be about that. Here's the thing. I think we can all agree that saying a true thing in and of itself is not arrogant or prideful. It's just true. Let's look back at John 14 real quick. We'll, we'll hit up verse 11. It says this, "'Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves.'" Jesus says we should believe that he is God— That the Father and Him are one. But if we are still wavering, hey, check the work. He says, check the work, check the receipts. See what I have accomplished. Allow that to be the proof you need. See, for followers of Jesus, we believe the claim that He is God because He validates Himself. This is is important. This isn't semantics. As a follower of Jesus, I am not claiming that I have the truth. I am saying that Jesus knows the truth. I'm saying that Jesus is the truth. Our knowledge doesn't come from our own efforts, from human hands to figure out God, but rather the other way around. The result of God graciously revealing himself to us. It's It's about God seeking out lost sinners and opening their eyes to truth. Every religion has a human being kind of at the center touting this or that, but ours is that God came into the world through Jesus. God came down into the world through Jesus. Let that sink in. So maybe maybe the the real objection is with Jesus himself. Maybe that's the rejection. Everything comes down to to what people think about him and not necessarily what what they think about us. Jesus makes all the truth claims, not us. We're just passing them along. This is the way that Peter uh, and John kind of defend themselves in Acts 4.20. They say it this way. We can only keep reporting what we have seen and what we've heard. I don't actually know, at least not on my own, but Jesus rose from the dead, so I am going to say what he said. I'm going to say what this guy said. That's not arrogant. Arrogance would be arguing with the guy who rose from the dead simply because it doesn't sound right to me. I've heard people say, well, religion is, is like we are all climbing uh, a mountain, but we're just all on different sides of said mountain. So we can only see, you know, our side of the mountain. And when we, and when we get to the top, we realize we are all climbing said mountain together. But I've got to ask, if, if, if all I can see is my side of the mountain, you know, on this side of the mountain, being a Christian, where are you sitting where you can see the whole mountain? The only way you could know if we are all climbing the same mountain, as in like all the different religions and all of that stuff, the only way you can know that we're all climbing the same mountain is if you can see the whole mountain, right? So really what those who use this analogy of the mountain are saying is that only I can actually see the whole thing. You guys only see one side of the mountain. Every single religion. You only see one side of the mountain. But for me, I actually see the whole thing. So I actually know what's happening. Who's arrogant? Who's prideful? Leslie Newbigin, a missionary to India, in his book, The Gospel in a Plurist Society says this, um, there is an appearance of humility in the protestation, did I say that right, Uh, that the truth, uh, I get words wrong sometimes, that the truth is much greater than any of us can grasp. But it may be, in fact, an arrogant claim to have a kind of knowledge which is superior to all others. So we have to ask the person, what is this absolute vantage point from which you claim to be able to relativize all the claims these different uh, scriptures and religions make. When you say no one should have a superior take on spiritual reality, that in and of itself is a superior take on spiritual reality. Now, with all that being said, sometimes people accuse Christians of being arrogant because they are just being flat out arrogant. I would totally agree with that. (laughs) If Christians ridicule other religions, if they are harsh or rude to other religions, if they are self-righteous towards people of different backgrounds, when we are afraid of any sort of actual conversation, civil conversation or dialogue, then we should absolutely be fairly criticized for arrogance. Absolutely. It is possible to hold to the truth in a way that undermines the truth in which we hold. That is possible. And it happens a lot. But also hear me say, the arrogance is not because we hold that Jesus rose from the dead. The arrogance is not because we hold that Jesus rose from the dead. And I don't want us to confuse the two. All right, how are we doing out there? How are you guys doing? Y'all good? Still good? I see some thumbs up. Okay, okay. All right, I just want to make sure. Just want to make sure. Hopefully I don't like stumble through another word. We'll see. Um, all right, number three. Number three. It's the last one. Is it not more inclusive to claim that all good people go to heaven no matter what they believe? Is it not more inclusive to claim that all good people go to heaven no matter what they believe? Or to kind of say it another way um, that I've heard, why are Christians exclusive? Can't we just say that all good people go to heaven? There are lots of really great people out there doing far better work than I am currently doing, honestly, than a lot of Christians are doing right now can't they go to heaven? What's up with that? When people say things like, all good people should go to heaven, it's, it's kind of like an interesting uh, uh, phrase or concept or whatever, because while they are not trying to be exclusive, do you know who they're actually excluding? They're excluding bad people. People who uh, don't measure up, people who fall short or are inadequate. So if you've ever screwed up in your life, sorry, you're out. If you've ever fallen short of some uh, elusive definition of being good in your life, you are excluded. Now, I don't know about you, but I'm not really in love with that worldview, because that would mean that I'm actually out. That means that that the people I know are out. The people I actually do life with are out. That is way more exclusive than what Jesus actually claims. That is far more divisive and exclusive and self-righteous than what Jesus claims. So really, if, if you're using that, really we are all being exclusive with our claims. We're basing it off of some type of definition. There is actually no such thing as a truly all-inclusive worldview, if you're saying all of that. See, to reject Christianity because it is exclusive, but then say all good people go to heaven, you're actually being more exclusive than Jesus. Let's check out John uh, 14, actually, and we'll, we'll read verses one through three. So that was before you know, everything that we read just now. Um, so yeah, just scroll up a little bit on your phone or whatever. Um, Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have not, or what I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again, and will take you to myself. I will take you to myself. That that where I am you may also be, or may be also. See, this is what puts Jesus on a different team from all other philosophies. This right here, from all other philosophies, traditions, religions, faith, teachers, all of that. Notice that Jesus does not say, if you are able to measure up, if you're able to, to, to be you know, all of this and that and whatever, if you're good, outweighs your bad. He doesn't say that. He doesn't say, if you do all this, I will actually accept you. You only have a little bit further to go, and then I will accept you. Just work a little harder. He doesn't say that. Here's how uh, religion usually works. Every religion sets a standard and says, hey, if you live a certain way, and you keep the commandments or live uh, uh, the proper life, then you will be approved by God. Whether their answer is good works, giving the charity, penance, karma, reincarnation, pillars of martyrdom, all of it, all of that is about us doing something to make ourselves right with God. All of that. We kind of drive it, basically. Jesus, however, he says, hey, I just need you to believe. I just need you to believe. Accept me into your life. Believe. Jesus operates by grace. In all of our good works, are in response to that grace, are in response to what he has already done for us by saving us. We don't have to perform. We don't have to do all of these things to be accepted by God. God already accepts us. See, Jesus is exclusive, but he's not exclusive because of who he lets in. He is exclusive because he is the only way to get in. Let me say that again. Jesus is not exclusive because of who he lets in. He is exclusive because he is the only way to get in. So there is is room for everyone at the cross. Everyone is welcome. The cross is for all of us who have failed and failed again and continue to fall short It's for us who who sin and repent and then somehow find ourselves back in that sin. It's for those of us who need grace and know it. It's for those who are weak and needy. It's for you. It's for me. It's for everyone. This means in, in Christ there is room f- for everyone, for everyone. He welcomes all of us. He welcomes all of us. So um, there are likely people in the room um, today or, or listening to this that, that kind of feel nervous, probably right now, uh, that kind of feel nervous about uh, Jesus's claim and Jesus's uh, exclusivity, as we would say. And to those people, I would just kind of invite you to see that we're actually all making exclusive claims. All of us. No matter our belief, no matter our belief system, all of us are kind of drawing lines in the sand. All of us are deciding who's in and who's out, basically. All of us are including somebody and excluding somebody. The only difference is, is one, is the basis on which you're doing that true or false, right? And then two, how compassionately do you treat those on the other side? And I would argue that the way of Jesus provides a pretty compelling response to both of those questions. To the first one, he says, examine the claims, check the receipts. Test it. Ask questions of it. Don't be afraid to ask questions. Question everything. Look at the history. Look at the works themselves. Check with other followers of Jesus. See if it stacks up. There's plenty to build a belief in Jesus in as the way, the truth, and the life. To the second one, he says this. He says, If we're all gonna believe in one exclusive belief system or another, why not believe in the one that teaches compassionate acceptance for anyone and everyone? That is the way of Jesus, and that is who we're trying to be here at City. Let's pray. Lord, um, thank you so much. Um, I know we've said it before, but thank you so much that we get to um, just kind of work through this with our church family, Lord. Um, Just based off of responses, it seems like you have been working um, in the lives of people that are questioning everything that are going through kind of deconstruction and just you know questioning all of the all of the things Lord and I'm just so glad that um, your timing is impeccable that that you are working through this series to speak to them and for that thank you uh, spirit, for doing that um, yeah, and just thank you for doing that for other people that that are their friends and co-workers, um, their friends and their family, all of that, Lord. You, you have been working through all of that. Lord, for today, I uh, just pray that um, something that was said um, resonated with the people on, in this room, online. I um, yeah, just pray that that you will work um, through this sermon today. That, that you will make yourself known, that you will make yourself clear to whoever you are speaking to, Lord. That they would feel your presence, whether that is uh, through reading your word, whether that is through uh, just the nature that you created, whether that is through one of their friends or one of their family members that follows Jesus. Help them to know that you are there. For those who um, are getting these questions, you're getting these questions from their classmates, from their professors, from co-workers, whoever, Lord, I just pray that you would give them wisdom, give them the words um, to speak and allow them to to do said speaking in love, Lord. Help them to not be arrogant, help them to not be prideful when they come across to them. Yeah. <laughs> help them not to say, listen up, idiots. make us beautiful, you make us sacrificial. Lord, I just pray that you will continue to remind that to everyone today. Help them to know that. Help them to to reflect that to the world around them. Yeah, we ask all of this in your name.